Welcome to Talk Save Culture Talks, the podcast of Paradisic, the Pacific and Regional Archive for Digital Sources in Endangered Cultures. I'm Jody Kell. And I'm Stephen Gagao. These are conversations with people who have personal and cultural connections to the languages and music in our archive. Musicologist specializing in Melanesian musical cultures past and present. He is an associate professor at the University of Sydney, based at the Conservatorium of Music. Michael grew up in Papua New Guinea in the 1960s and 1970s, and in the 1980s he worked there as a secondary and tertiary educator. In 1993, Michael travelled to Rabaul in Papua New Guinea for his PhD research on the history of music in the region, recording interviews and music performances on cassette tape and Super 8 video. Last year, 25 years after his visit, Michael asked Paradisec to digitise and archive his extensive collection of recordings, creating the collection MW6, accessible through the online catalogue. This podcast is the first part of two episodes in which we discuss this collection with Michael. In this episode, you will discover the remarkable connection between Michael's recordings and Stephen Gagal. And in the second episode, Rabal, the music, you can hear the story unfold as the two friends listen to and talk about excerpts from the collection. As you have mentioned, Jody, this collection is not just part of my archival work but has a direct connection to me as an indigenous man from the Gazelle Peninsula. My people are known as the Tolai or Gunantuna, and most of the recordings are about pioneers, innovators, and creative artists of my people over four decades in our music history. I grew up in Viveran Village in the Toma area in the hinterlands of the Gazelle Peninsula. The Gazelle Peninsula and the Duke of York Islands are part of the province of East New Britain in the northeastern tip of the island of New Britain. Currently, the capital of the province is Kokopo. However, in the time of Michael's fieldwork in 1993, Rabaul was the old capital. It was largely destroyed by the volcanic eruption in 1994. I've come a long way from Viveran Village, but my work in Sydney as an archivist has brought me back to 1993 with my people. First of all, uh, Michael, how did you meet Stephen? Um, well, I'd heard about Stephen a little bit uh, through another f- mutual friend of ours, uh, Dennis Crowdy, at, uh, from Macquarie Uni. And uh, then from there, um, 
I think the, the, the time we first actually met was sort of randomly in the corridor or somewhere here at the <laughs> conservatorium. And uh, I suddenly thought, whoa, um, Stephen Yam must man tolay. <laughs> I saw his face and I said, he's got to be a tolay. And that started um, bringing back a lot of the memories of my time when I did my um, doctoral field research in, um, in Rabal. But I was a bit nervous about talking to him about that because uh, I instantly thought, it's been a long time since I've thought about the, the music in my research back in the early 90s. And um, he no doubt knows a lot more than me. So if I open my mouth, I might make some mistakes. <laughs> Uh, so it was that, but then uh, of course um, one talk system kicks in yeah, and uh, very <laughs> yeah. quickly, and uh, we became friends over it just pretty quickly, and um, uh, moved from acquaintances to friends in about two weeks. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then um, uh, started talking about people we knew to get uh, we mutually knew and about uh, music and musicians yeah. and just th different things like that and um, so forth. So let Stephen. Uh, yeah. Think about How it. did well, you meet Michael? Like, what do you? He's a natural thought to me. The way <laughs> the way is uh, my main direction and uh, just getting to know him. I, I've heard about him also through Dennis. So Dennis is a mutual friend uh, uh, of mine, and um, he keeps talking about there's 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 a there's a Michael in Sydney Uni who does work uh, you know in music back back at home, and. Um, yeah, we, the conversation started, and um, yeah, I just naturally kind of gel with him, and personality, that kind of is the sort of thing that us, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, probably started with a few jokes. Yeah, started yeah. with a few jokes, so we've kind of become real friends now. I mm. just uh, thought that, and working on his collections, uh, the connection I have is because mm. uh, ethnically, culturally, um, I'm really connected to it. To the to the source of it and and like what Michael said about uh, you know he was thinking twice about you know asking questions I think uh, for me it's a it's a learning process that I I begin to learn about the music from his collections and and that's where we got to talk about that because it uh, it actually has enriched my personal knowledge and put things in perspective about music uh, back at uh, in Rabaul and uh, Gazelle and. Mm. I, I'd thought I'd thought for a long time about bringing um, to see bringing my collection and seeing uh, my fieldwork um, recordings and seeing if Paradisiac was interested. But um, I think that as a as an ethnographer and um, ethnomusicologist, feel kind of vulnerable. You sort of feel like when you put a collection uh, of a particular documenting a particular period of fieldwork down. Um, you can see all the glaring gaps and um, the things that you should have done, and and uh, also once uh, you know you kind of uh, hear the kind of your interview technique, or you hear you know yourself fumbling through uh, trying to um, find out about musical practices, you kind of go, oh, I don't really want to listen to that. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, it's interesting you say that, though, because I think our experience, I know working with Stephen and working on the digitisation of the collection, that we've actually been feeling like it has this incredible richness and I think we've found there's a huge amount of mm, mm, information. Mm. Don't, don't you yeah, think? I, I, I totally agree. Uh, for me, it's the, the musical journey of, of the various people you interviewed actually made me part of it because uh, I used to wonder how, you know, Tele came to being, or you know, the, the, the mixed race and the Chinese community came into being, and how 
the music developed, uh, evolved, and uh, the experience alone for me, it's it's really uh, enlightening, enriching. Okay, so that's what took me to Rabaul in the first place. Actually, my kind of lifelong adult, lifelong um, ethnomusicological mentor is Don Niles in um, in at the Institute of Papua New Guinea Studies in Port Moresby. I consulted with Don about going to Rabaul for to do PhD work, and and after talking to him about my reasons for wanting to go there, he was very strongly encouraging. And my reasons were that the town intrigued me because of its um, sort of, it was it was the region where, um, in the New Guinea Islands, where um, Christianity was first introduced. And then um, it became a port town, so under German colonial control in the 1880s, 1882, I think. And, um, and then, then the town of Rabaul was built around r roughly the first decade of the 20th century um, by Chinese labor, but by under the German, uh, under the governor, Albert Hall. Um, then um, the first action, first Australian action during World War I occurred on the Gazelle Peninsula. And um, I think it was six Australians were shot there yeah. um, at the beginning of mm, World War yeah, I. Yeah. Mm, right. And they're buried at Bitapaka. Bitapaka, yeah. mm. And... Um, and uh, so it was taken. So uh, uh, Rabaul was taken from uh, by Australians, British slash Australians from the Germans. The Germans yeah. um, and then this is sort of long period through the twenties, the uh, um, appropriation of uh, the German plantations and whatnot, and uh, the nineteen twenty one League of Nations um, uh, Australian Protectorate um, Agreement, and then uh, Japanese uh, bombed Rabaul and. Um, 1942, January 1942, and took over, and for about three and a half years they were in control, and um, and then it was uh, taken back by Australians, and and then it was, and then the Gazelle Peninsula um, was uh, the the site of a lot of um, um, ferment in the lead up to self government and um, and um, independence, independence, and and it's associated with um, several important Australian politicians as well, Gough Whitlam and uh, John Gordon. For example, mm. both Australian prime ministers visited mm -hmm. uh, Rabaul, mm -hmm. and um, so forth. So I was intrigued by the history, and I thought this has got to be a It's got to have a complicated history um, musically, mm. Mm. and so that's sort of what drew me. Also, I'd heard um, Tolo music, and and when I was I was working in PNG in the eighties, so I was teaching in at Sugari National High School mm. in 1980, from nineteen eighty two, and that was the time when uh, the band Pun and Warp broke out. And uh, so that was a, a Tolai rock band that was really kind of an early Tolai um, expression of rock, um, indigenous sort of rock sound. Um, and it wasn't just because of Telex's voice and his singing in language and, and his singing style, but because of John Warabite's um, guitar playing as well. Yeah, which in, in my analysis kind of follows um, a little bit like uh, Tin Book. Mm. Uh, mm. Style the the xylophone playing and the mm. warbat actually his name as uh, gives it away the warbat song style yeah. Yeah. Uh, rhythm yeah. as well anyway so I was I was drawn to, mm. to the town mm. because of the fascinating history and it was and it's far more complicated than I thought before yeah. I went there mm. and what what did you get I know this Stephen's been really interested mm -hmm. in finding out what your thesis like what came out of it you know you you go in with a kind of plan. But my plan was really to um, meet musicians, um, old and uh, older and younger, and talk first uh, with uh, after I've met as many musicians as I could, 
and to see what kind of picture might emerge in terms of trying to see what sort of narratives came out of that. Um, so there was, a, there was a, an, a gentleman who's no longer alive by the name of Ray Sheridan who lived and worked in Rabaul uh, from 1947. He was in, in uh, what was then New Guinea uh, during World War II and he became fascinated with the music and uh, so he went back uh, so he went back and ended up as a sort of um, I think he worked as a health officer in in Rabaul and in Kavieng and uh, while he in from 1947 from that time he uh, started recording or maybe in the 1950s and 60s he started recording um, the music of any indigenous groups that were resident in Rabaul and in the early 60s he released um, a, a record on the Wattle label called Music of New Guinea, uh, which became quite well known because it was the only one of its kind, really. He published an article in an encyclopedia on, so on music, the, um, the Encyclopedia of Papua and New Guinea. It was a two-volume uh, 1970s um, work. And uh, his was interesting to me because he was one of the few people, he wasn't an ethnomusicologist per se, but he was one of the first music researchers um, to concentrate on um, contemporary forms. Mm. And that intrigued me. Uh, I decided then, um, through the process of meeting musicians and uh, after beginning to have conversations, I'll concentrate on um, Tolai music making because they were the dominant group. At the time that I was doing research, I think the, the Tolai people numbered around 100,000. Uh, people, and I think it, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, and I think it's um, it's larger than that now, mm. much larger than yeah. that now. Well, that hundred thousand is actually the mostly the Gazelle Peninsula. Not the Rabaul was the township. The town, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. The area. Yeah. Uh, now. So the hinterland. Is, the hinterlands. Yeah. Mm. yeah so. That's the biggest group. Yeah. 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 Mm. So it. Uh, so the Tolo were about. Um, I think. A, um, were at the time that I was doing my research the third largest ethnic group in Papua New Guinea. Mm. And that also was one of the reasons wow. I was interested. Mm. And so it became um, a study of what's known as the colonial century, 1875 to 1975. And um, 1875 being the year that um, George Brown uh, landed in the Duke of York Islands and to found the Methodist, uh, Wesleyan Methodist mission there. And 1975 um, being the year of um, Papua New Guinea's independence. And so I'd concentrate on that century and I would see if I could discover anything about um, ethnic, the, the, ident the ethnic identity formation of the uh, Tolai people, um, but examined through the lens of music. Mm. So my, my idea was to look at um, ethnicity and then to see um, if I could do that over the long um, term and... Um, see if see what music had to say about um, ethnic formation mm. because when George Brown um, first started visiting the gazelle from the Duke of York's which are right um, adjacent um, the the Tolai people weren't the Tolai people in fact the Tolai is a is actually a, a sort of a made-up name Stephen should tell us about what what Tolai means <coughs> Tolai, tolai. Mm. Um, well and I'll just have a step yeah. back. The Tolais, yeah. um, well, traditionally we, well, from history, we, we moved over to, to New Britain. 
from New Ireland. But uh, the tola is more, um, it's like friendship, uh, lay. Uh, we always put prefixes in front of uh, names. So tola is a, my friend and tola meaning you, my friend, and you're a male. Mm. But there's also a female connotation also on that. Yeah, this, and you call somebody else. But traditionally, that was the word. There's a, there's just like was a, a welcome a, name. That was sort but of a, a, a men to men. Men to men. Mm. Yeah, to, yeah. To is like sort of like Mister. Mister. It's like oh, a Mister. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so it's a term of address. That's to right. Like, that's right. And that, that's yeah. what. Yes, you're, that's right. You're big, so, yeah. And it, it came about, as far as I understand, Tim. Correct me if this is wrong, but through. Um, through non non Tola indigenous people hearing Tola people use the name like mm. it's like bras mm. or brother yeah, brother yeah. it's yeah. like yeah. lay yeah. friend yeah. Mm. and then they would just they would refer to the the Gunantuna yeah. uh, speakers as yes. Tola yes. Okay. so yeah. ah. so culturally we are known as Gunantuna yeah. and it's this, uh, it's really the real people of the land that, that's kind of Gunantuna what it means but Tola is just like you know the welcoming, the identification. Say, just say when you are tolai, you you uh, relate to that person. Whereas mm. if you are an outsider, you are a, a waira, they call them. But uh, you cannot call everybody tolais because uh, I it's, it's it's our cultural identity, ethnic identity. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's the way tolai came from. And so I was thinking that. If, it, if there's a term, then there's a, the perception of a group. Mm. Yeah. But before that, before the 1920s, so from the 1870s to, to that period, you've got this period where the people all speak dialects of the same language, yeah. um, but they're not united. Mm. Yeah. Uh, they're not unified uh, they're, because they're spread, they're quite, spread over quite a large area. Mm. All right. Well, coming back to the music, um, yeah. uh, as an ethnic Tolai person, um, you know, I was... Well, educated and more knowledgeable now than than before I looked at your collections. Um, so I know music as I, I see from the collections cover the range from uh, you know traditional uh, music to the chorals introduced by the missionaries to um, you know contemporary uh, the string bands that came into contemporary. And I'm just trying, I'm wondering whether. Uh, your conclusions on the, the development of music, especially from the Tola people, not uh, with the influence from the mixed race community, but from Tolais, uh, what do you see the musical um, background that evolved to what is it, it is today uh, as a Tolai? Just trying to see, look back at the, the musical developments uh, with my yeah. people. So, I mean, I think that. <clears throat> One of the ways that people interact with each other is through imitation. And one of the, if you don't speak the same language, so if, if outsiders come uh, into your presence, one of the, the things that frequently happens is that eventually you'll share a song. Hmm. Um, because uh, on, on the premise that all people appreciate music somehow. Hmm. And, and so, uh, there's uh, among the the Tolai and among um, coastal and island Melanesians in general. There's in, intense curiosity over songs, and this is because both because of their um, the the power that songs um, possess, not just the song itself, but the singing of the song, and um, because in uh, in the Tolai cosmology, 
um, there's a strong association between magical power and uh, spells and uh, songs. And so when, when outsiders such as the missionaries first arrive and start singing songs, there's intense curiosity about those songs. And uh, also um, that there's been a lot of research um, done on this, uh, but Melanesian people in general um, are collectors of other people's songs. And uh, they absorb into their repertoires any songs that they'll come across, if they like them, and for whatever, for various reasons. But uh, so I, I, I discovered that um, there was, first of all, great curiosity uh, over hymns. Mm. And, and I think that, that that general sort of principle about curiosity about different kinds of music among the Tolai um, uh, applied to other forms of music that they encountered as well. So I think that there's this sort of modernizing impulse that was at work as well. For example, I, I, we maybe will talk about um, Blasius Tohuna. He was, I think he was around 14 uh, during World War II, and he was a domestic servant for a Japanese officer. Mm. And um, he said that the Japanese officer used to play records uh, in his house. Mm. And so he memorized some of the tunes, and he memorized the sound of the words. Mm. Uh, so he didn't know what the language was. Yeah but he could mimic back the words. And so um, uh, he, pl he, he, he played me one of the songs that uh, he more or less set to guitar that he remembered from that period. And uh, I gave it to a, a, a Japanese man that I encountered. He took it back to Japan. He was able to find out what the song was. It was a song about a hospital ship. So it was a, a sort of a war ballad of bravery and valor and so forth. And he could go from the from Blasius Tohuna's um, transliteration back into Japanese, and then he translated into English for me and said, <laughs> "So you found that that people would yeah. absorb songs yeah. like that." And Blasius is a very interesting guy himself. Um, when um, a German priest uh, called Father Reichel mm. turned up in the, I think it was in the 1930s, uh, Blasius studied um, four-part harmony writing under him. Mm. and learned how to compose in four-part, like in strict sort of choral um, mm. or chorale kind of writing mm. with him. So you, you found, um, I think he was originally from Toma, yeah. but he, when I met him, he was in Nodu, close to Raval. Uh, he married someone from there, I think. Yes, and, yes, yes. Uh, so, so right throughout um, the 20th century, you found I found all of these little um, paths that would diverge and and converge and so forth and um, and so mm. what did I discover um, I mean really I suppose in a nutshell um, a very rich and diverse history musical history mm. um, and the interesting thing is that uh, that the Tolai people didn't abandon certain practices they just kept adding new things to, to what they already had mm. it wasn't like oh we'll move to hymns or we'll move to guitar music it's like we've already got our own music now we'll just keep um, adding new genres and new repertoires mm. and uh, broaden and enrich uh, those repertoires. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. And Stephen, for you, you know, like if you're talking about, Michael, talking about the identity, like Tolai identity that can be expressed through mm. music and yeah. actually shaped through music, mm. what, when you're listening to this collection, mm. um, what, what have you gained from it? What do you think you've learnt? Well, I will speak as um, an indigenous of the 
uh, of, mm. the, of the area. I, I feel so connected and um, like there's a, it answers a lot of questions that I had gaps in my understanding. Yeah. Everybody learned about Blasio Stone and mm. everybody, so everybody knows personalities and musicians and artists out there, but uh, this collection alone has actually, you know, put me down to the roots of uh, and a, a bit of pride in, in, in my own people and, and, and what how far they've come because traditionally this was introduced music that has blended to traditional music that uh, we've been able to you know capture and, and evolve with and I, I feel really part of, uh, of of this journey actually every every musician that you interviewed had a story and how it's connected and I just easily relate even down to the the traditional tenor boys, to the different types of traditional songs. And contemporary now, rock bands are playing those songs. You know, the word bards, you know, they, they're expressing the same thing, but in modern instruments these days. So I, I feel, I really feel so connected through Michael's work and, and the, the, the archive now. And I'll just put a question back to Michael here. There's, I know you did this research in the early 1990s, so 1993. Then we had the volcanic eruption in 1994. So obviously there's some logistical or some issues of probably relating this, many, this information back. But I would like to also play a part in connecting back into the community uh, as an archivist and as a, as a researcher and also uh, with the rich um, collection that you have, I, I just feel that it needs to go back to the community. So I was thinking what, what has gone back uh, <coughs> with the work that you've done. Well, so, there were this, so it's 25 years ago, yep. essentially 26 that we're mm. talking about. So a copy of my thesis um, went to um, uh, back to the provincial government who deposited it in the... Um, Town Library, which no longer exists, exists. Oh, in fact, like in 1994, right. it was destroyed. It destroyed. Yeah. The town was oh, destroyed. Yeah. yeah, of course. So, um, so in in essence, um, hardly anyone one um, back in um, the Gazelle Peninsula will know much of this information. I mean, I've learned so much more since then as well. Actually, uh, in, I mean, there's many stories I didn't even touch on brass band music. Mm. Uh, so we talked about choral music, I talked about guitar, I talked about, um, uh, I haven't, haven't yet mentioned Abot, which was uh, an early sort of popular song form, I think actually originates from New Ireland. Yes, it's New Ireland. Um, yeah. But comes into the Tolai yeah. uh, mm. realm yeah. as well. And that was uh, um, Garmut uh, accompanied. Yeah. And it's one of the only genres that male and females perform Sorry, together. So when is Garmut? Garamut yeah. is a slit drum, long slit, slit drum. drum. Yeah. And the Tolai have a, um, and New Islanders actually, have a unique way of playing the slit drum, the garamut, um, which is by jolting the jolting. stick, uh, letting it bounce on mm. the drum rather than hitting it with actual sort of mm. drumsticks. I have a single rod, a bit, a bit like yeah. a, a, a paddle handle. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then having it uh, bounce rhythmically mm. on the drum. Mm. You know, sort of, it, this way you get the kind of triplet rhythm mm. uh, as well. But... And is that distinctly Tolai? Is that uh, it? Well, this New Island and us, uh, and we play that way. The other parts, of I don't think anyone else they, they do. Plays they like don't that. do that. They yeah. they, they, they beat it. Yeah. yeah. For as far yeah. as yeah. 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 And Garamut actually is a 
Pokpisin word mm-hmm. um, for a type of wood, a type of tree. That's right. Uh, which the drums were made from. Um, which is a Kwanua language or Gunatuna language word, which that's comes right. into pidgin, yeah. actually. Well, th- that's the history of the Tokpisin. Actually, it evolved around uh, the Tola language. So a lot of words that are in Tokpisin actually uh, as some come source, from come yeah. from Stephen's yeah. language. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why it's, it's easier to relate to mm. Tokpisin because. Uh, so we're mm. uh, partly Samoan plantation. Yes, yeah, they also call it Samoan plantation pigeon, and yeah. so the the Germans had plantations there, and also in the Gazelle mm. area and Duke of York's area. So um, workers were circulating there. But um, yeah, so much of I, I, none of the recordings. Well, I shouldn't say that. A copy of the thesis was also um, lodged in uh, the library of the Institute of Papua New Guinea Studies, but the recordings aren't. Mm. Um, so for a long time the recordings languished um, in mm. my home. I, I changed uh, continents a few times and, <laughs> and jobs a few times and yeah. and I've, I've published uh, minimal mm. on this research actually and I've, I've uh, made some attempts at, at writing towards publication for some of the uh, information but um, other things have come up and, and got in the way and um, I've switched sort of areas of um, research as well. Not not away from Melanesia, but, but a mm. different focus. Uh, so I think it is time for some of this. Um, mm. It's a good time now, a mm. quarter of a century later. Mm. Yeah. Particularly when uh, many of the people that I've interviewed are no longer alive. Yeah, but that, that's that's what I was kind of trying to allude to, that um, a lot of people I know have kind of moved on, but mm. I want other siblings or the generations to be aware of of what came out of the people and the culture to go back for, for them to embrace and yeah and it's yeah. a it's also a learning process like what I did through through the collections mm. and now yeah. it's in digital form it is yes. possible to take it back more safely mm. as well I guess mm. um, do you have plans are you talking about this I uh, no, haven't really talked much about um, doing doing anything in particular with the recordings although um, that would be a great idea to collaborate on um, putting some of the material together in a form that's accessible mm-hmm. in, in, uh, for, for Tolo readers. And so that's uh, waiting collaboration with Stephen if he agrees and, uh, yeah. and um, we, could, we could... I'm just keen, so yeah. let's mm. work on a collaboration on that. Because I, I think it's time. To, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just want to ask you, Stephen, mm-hmm. um, you know, your role here is in the archive um, and yet you also, in, with this collection in particular have a role as it's from your community like how does that feel for you to be in these kind of two positions or um, what how, how do you see your role with a collection like this well for me the the experience or the journey that I've gone through just the time I've been as an archivist and uh, placing me where I belong and the sense of connection and belonging uh, in the music, because I know I pride, we pride ourselves out of expression uh, through music, song and dance, and uh, that that has really drove home uh, the personal experience as well as uh, from a community level. Being a community leader here, uh, I as much as possible try to you know bring them into you know the academic research sphere or professional sphere or social sphere. To, to get people to understand um, I know how they relate to the bigger world. I mean, it's a global village now, and we've we got to be part of that. So 
as a community person, as an archivist, um, very enlightening and enriching for me personally. But uh, I think um, I don't lose sight of the community that I represent. Mm. I just felt so satisfied that I'm part of this. And, and all we need is to connect back and loop it back into <laughs> the community at that point. Thank you, Michael Webb, for joining us on Talk Save Culture Talks and sharing your amazing recordings and knowledge connecting my Tolai culture and heritage. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you would like to listen to Michael's recordings, they are available as the MW6 collection in our online catalogue. For access and more information about Paradisec, you can visit our website at www paradisec.org.au Tok Culture Talks was launched as part of the United Nations International Year of Indigenous Languages in 2019. We would like to acknowledge the support of the University of Sydney's Chancellor's Committee for the digitisation of Michael Webb's collection. We would also like to acknowledge the support of the Australian Research Council's Centre of Excellence for the Dynamics of Language and the University of Sydney, the University of Melbourne and the Australian National University.